the end of our little journey that we've been taking this summer. And uh, we've been looking at the Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14 and dealing with uh, knowing and living in God's will. And uh, our road signs up here have kind of been our visual aid to kind of show us that uh, as we travel and as we use GPSs and as we use these signs to tell us where to go and how to drive, that that's really how the Lord leads us. And Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14, as I've encouraged us every week throughout the summer to read through these chapters, and I want to encourage you even in the weeks ahead to continue to read through these chapters so that we come to know, as Paul says in Romans 12 too, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is a good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives, and it doesn't just come naturally. No more than when we go out here today and sit in our car, unless we go through the steps of starting that car and putting it into drive and stepping on the accelerator, unless we follow these signs, we're not gonna be able to get to our destinations and do all those things. It's the same way with God's will for our lives. It's not just gonna happen because we say, okay, Lord, whatever you wanna do. He's gonna show you step by step choice by choice, moment by moment, what he wants you to do. And uh, sometimes we're like, Lord, show me your will in this situation. And he comes back and says, well, wait a minute. I've already showed you this and you haven't done it yet. So we're not going to go here until we've gone here. Right? I mean, until, we, until, we, until you do what I've asked you to do here, I mean, you, you're just saying, okay, God, I know you said this, but I want to skip over to this. And God's like, no, I got a progression here that we're going to follow. You don't put the car in drive before you turn on the ignition, right? There's a progression that the Lord shows us. And Romans 12, 13, and 14 gives us so much for our lives to teach us how to think, how to, to, to be transformed. To be transformed, we've got to change how we think. We've got to stop saying, okay, this is what I say, but this is what God's word says, and so I gotta transform my thought process and go with what he says. And so we've been through Romans chapter 12, we've been through Romans chapter 13 as we've covered it over these last couple weeks, and today we're gonna look at the last chapter, Romans chapter 14, and I've titled this No Backseat Drivers. No Backseat Drivers. Amen. Isn't it funny how we always think we're better drivers than others? I mean, everybody thinks that their driving skills are better than everyone else. And isn't it interesting that 60 miles per hour feels a whole lot different in the passenger seat than it does in the driver's seat? I mean, have you ever done that where you've looked over at the speedometer because you feel like you're, we're going too fast because maybe you don't trust the other person's driving skills? And just because you've ridden with them a long time doesn't mean you've learned to trust them, okay? I mean, this happens especially when our teenagers start driving Amen? I mean, we're like, whoa, we're going way too fast. They're like, I'm 10 miles under the speed limit. Well, it's still too fast. I mean, because there's an uncertainty to it. And so we have a tendency at times to critique other people's driving skills. How many of you like your driving skills critiqued by other people in the vehicle? Let me see those hands. Yeah, we, we, we don't really. I mean, we don't like it when we're driving down the road and Watch that, watch that, you're, go, you're too close to him, stop, you're going too fast, watch out. And finally we turn and say, I got this, would you like to drive? And we don't ask that because they would, <laughs> and so they would switch, and then we would be on the other side. So Paul says a lot of this in Romans chapter 14, 
what he's talking about is the way we play backseat driver to people's lives. Uh, we do this. We have a tendency to do this in the body of Christ. We like to think that, uh, you know, the way we live is better than everyone else. And so I want to critique how everyone else lives. And that's what he talks about. And this is a difficult chapter, not because um, it's hard to understand, but it's been twisted. These concepts have been twisted in our culture today, and we'll talk through some of that before we come to the end of it. But Romans chapter 14, if you've got your Bible to follow along, you can. Uh, Otherwise, it's up on the screen in case you don't own a Bible or didn't bring a Bible. It says, accept other believers who are weak in faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Now, notice he doesn't just use the word judge, Some translations do, but I like the strong, it's a stronger word than judge, it's a condemn. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. That last verse there is very interesting because this is the heart of God. It's the heart of God that no one perish, but everyone come to eternal life. And sometimes that gets lost in our message today as as Christians. We forget that it's not God's will to condemn. Jesus did not come to the earth to condemn the world. He came to offer salvation to the world. And so how we present the gospel is very important. And at times we can present it as if Jesus came to condemn us. He didn't come to condemn us. We were condemned already. He came to offer us life. Okay? And so what Paul is speaking to in Romans chapter 14 is a Jewish problem. He's writing to Jewish and non-Jewish believers. And there are some who are weak in faith, weak in their faith in Christ, because Christ has come and set us free from the two main parts of the Jewish law, the dietary parts of the law and the festivals, the feast days of the law, the special observances. And these are two things that are so important in the life of a Jew. And some of them have not been able to wrap their mind around the fact that Christ has set us free from all that. That all we have to do, I mean, for them, it has been so difficult to be in right standing with God. I mean, you gotta keep the law and every part of the law. You can't just be lazy in, in some of it and just you know, hope you get most of it. You gotta follow every part of that law. And you gotta follow every dietary restriction. And you gotta follow every festival and every day and every sacrifice. And so for them to say, now all I have to do is put my faith in Christ and I'm in right standing with God completely, I mean, I know that we've got to work out our salvation and I know we've got to be obedient to his commands, but for them to think that all I have to do is put faith in Christ and I am in right standing with God, that's hard for them to wrap their mind around. And so some of them are weak and they're still observing the dietary laws. And Paul says, you know, if you're strong in your faith in Christ, you've grown in your faith in Christ, don't look down on them. You know, let the Holy Spirit direct them and lead them and walk with them through this purpose. But don't think you're better than them. Don't be a backseat driver in their life. I mean, it's okay to encourage them that, hey, Jesus has really set us free from this. But don't, don't go over, don't condemn them. You know, by following those dietary laws, you know, you're, you're of the devil. 
That's what was happening. They were condemning each other. And so Paul's advice is not to argue with them, not to try to force them to accept the way of, of righteousness through Christ. Walk with them, teach them, encourage them, help them. Let the Holy Spirit lead them in this process. Now, we're told in Galatians that there were those who were trying to force people to be circumcised and force them to follow the law. And Paul says, hey, in that instance, correct people. I mean, it's one thing if it's your own conscience, you gotta, I mean, you're not ready to let go of this and so you're still doing it. But, uh, you know, if they're trying to force that on other believers, no, 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 no. Christ really set us free from that. James says too, James says, hey, if you try to keep the law, but you're guilty of one part, you're guilty of all of it. And so we don't wanna force other believers, but if it's their own lives, you know, let the Holy Spirit work on that. Then to the weak, to those who are still going through these things because they're, they're not sure, Paul says, don't condemn those who are stronger in their faith in Christ. Don't look at them and say, you know, if you don't follow my dietary laws, you're going to hell. You will not be in right standing with God. Don't condemn each other in this process. Watch being a backseat driver. And it's a stronger word than judge. It's a condemn. It's a final verdict. Ultimately, you won't be saved. And Paul reminds us, you know, it's God's desire for everyone to be saved. And the Holy Spirit, his work in our life is leading us further along this path of righteousness because he wants us to be saved. He wants us to walk in the fullness of what God has for us. And that's his desire in our lives. And then he goes on to the other one in verse five. In some way, in some, way some think one day is more holier than other days while other thinks every day is alike. See, some have been set free from the dietary law. Some have been set free from the, the festival days. You should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. We'll come back to that. Those who worship the Lord on a, on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks before eating. Those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord, and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we all die, if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord both of the living and of the dead. We need to be fully convinced that we are right before the Lord. Now you can be convinced you're right and be wrong. You with me? To be fully convinced, we have to worship in spirit and in truth. If I just go by what I feel, I'm not good. I'm not fully convinced. I may be convinced, I may think I'm fully convinced, but according to the scripture, I'm not fully convinced. I mean, I feel like this is what we should do, but if the word of God says something different, I don't care what I feel. Now, if the word of God says I'm free to do whatever I feel like doing, but in my conscience, the Holy Spirit says, mm, don't do that thing. What Paul is saying in Romans 14 is, you gotta do that. You gotta worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And for some people, uh, you know, 
I really can't watch sports on TV because it just, I get so con- consumed and overwhelmed with it, and so I just, I stay away from it altogether. It's not because it's a sin, but that's my conscience. For some people, I, I don't have a television set in my house because I, I just, I can't, something inside of me says don't have it. Now, I can't go to everyone and say, you have a television set? Well, you know, you are not. Because it's not truth, okay? So we, to be fully convinced before the Lord, I gotta worship in spirit and in truth. That's what Paul has said so far. That's what he's gonna say through the rest of Romans chapter 14. So I gotta go by what the book says, and then I gotta follow what the spirit leads me to do, and that may not be the same for every believer. And Paul says that's okay. Because it's all about the Lord. It's all about honoring the Lord. It's all about being fully convinced before the Lord. In order to do that, 2 Timothy tells us we should study and be eager and do our utmost to present ourselves to God approved. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed, but correctly analyzes and accurately divides the word of truth. I mean, if we're not people that are constantly in the word, and not just, you know, reading it so that we can check it off for the day, but really meditating on it, and studying it, and digging into it, and really figure out what Paul's talking about, because if we don't understand that Paul's talking to Jewish Christians in Romans chapter 14, and he's, conduct, he's talking about the dietary laws and the, the special festival laws, we could twist Romans 14 to mean almost anything. And we'll get to that in a second. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to us to, to know what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives and it corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So to be fully convinced, I've got to know the word and I've got to put the word into practice, but I've also got to follow the leading of the spirit because there may be something that the word doesn't speak to, but the spirit says to me, don't touch. Does that make sense? Paul says, be fully convinced. And then he says, we don't live for ourselves. You gotta be fully convinced before the Lord and remember, we don't live for ourselves. So the decisions I make are not made in isolation. They affect my family. They affect the other members of the body of Christ. And so how I live isn't all about me. I know that's hard for us to swallow here in our American culture where The world revolves around us as Americans. I mean, you go to other countries of the world and you answer your cell phone in a restaurant and talk loud, you might get kicked out because the world does not revolve around you. And in other countries of the world, there's this thing called respect (laughs) where we don't really have it in our culture. And so that's why when we're in restaurants, people are talking on the phone loudly at the table next to us. You catching that? The world does not revolve around me. And so I can't just do what I want to do and what I'm fully convinced is good for me. I still got to look at how it affects others. And if what I'm doing affects others negatively, then because I don't live just for myself, I'm not going to do it. That's what Paul says. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, Christ who lives in me. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, he died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. As we've gone through this series from Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14, almost every week, we've talked about how our relationships with other people are important. 
and how our decisions and how they affect those other people are important. And sometimes we think that our relationship with God is primary and then our relationship with people is secondary. They're inseparable, okay? It's not primary and secondary, it's inseparable. I can't claim to love God if I'm not loving people. I mean, I know that we like to have things in hierarchy, but God says, ultimately, your love for me is proved by how you love people. You with me? Okay, for the two of you with me, let's keep moving. Verse 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance to God. That's in Philippians. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So, let's stop condemning each other Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Paul's reminding us there's a judgment. Scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're all going to stand before Christ and we're all going to be judged. We're all going to receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we've done in our bodies. Just because we've accepted Christ does not mean there's not a judgment day coming. There is a judgment seat of Christ where I, in what I have been entrusted, I have been given the Holy Spirit, I have been given the Word of God, I've been given talents and abilities to use to build the kingdom of God. And I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. None of you will be with me. Just me. And so I don't get to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, well, Lord, you know, I tried to do what I could do, but, you know, my wife or my kids or my church or my... It's just me, mano a mano, before the Lord, saying, here's what I did with what she gave me. And the challenge this summer has been, I want to do something with what she gave me. I don't want to present anything to you, because when I look at what you did for me, and I look at what I'm about to offer you, I promise you this, we could toil every moment of our lives, and what we offer him is still going to pale in comparison to that. But I don't want it to be that. I don't want it to be nothing. Think of the parable of the guy who hid everything and thought, well, you know, at least I have what you gave me. You wicked, lazy servant. But I didn't lose it. Are you with me? Man, I don't, okay. Hebrews 9.27. Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So my concern is that I'm going to face judgment, and so I want to do what is right before the Lord. I need to be fully convinced that what I'm doing is when I stand before judge on the Lord on judgment day, that this is what he's going to be like, well done. So every decision I make in my life, every choice I make, every priority, everything I do, I want it to be with this in mind. I'm gonna stand before the Lord on judgment day. That's why I need to be fully convinced. This is why this is not just, well, you know, okay, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. That's the, the church world for too long has been, you know, if I hit it, I hit it, and if I miss it, I miss it. And the, the scripture says, study the word. Know what's expected of you. Know there's a judgment coming. That's why the the Holy Spirit is sounding a wake-up call in these last days to the church. Come on, let's pay attention to what we're doing. 
And not only that, but there are other believers, there are other people on the earth, and they're going to face judgment too. And I want to make sure I do everything I can so that they hear well done. And so if, if, if what I'm doing is throwing something in their path and making it more difficult for them to serve the Lord, I don't want to do that. I want them to hear well done. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now, Sometimes we take Romans chapter 13 and we twist it. And we think what the Apostle Paul is saying is, you know, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 do not judge others. We've heard that a lot recently, haven't we? Don't judge others. The problem is, we're taking that out of context. We're taking Romans chapter 14 out of context. Because here's the thing while there may be things that are different for every believer, there are certain things that are the same for all of us. There is a standard of righteousness that the word has. In fact, we're taking Matthew chapter seven, verse one, and separating it from the rest of Matthew chapter seven. Look at what he says in verse six. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Watch out, verse 15, for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, if it's true that verse one means that I can't judge people, why does he in two places later in the chapter give us a standard by which people could be judged? It doesn't fit. That doesn't make sense. And verse one has been taken to mean, you can't tell me what is, what, that I'm wrong. Well, you're right. I can't tell you that you're wrong, but I can tell you what the word of God says. And the word of God may tell you you're wrong. There is a standard of right and wrong in the word of God. Jesus, in fact, in John chapter seven, verse 24 teaches us that don't just judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. So the same guy that said don't judge in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 says in John chapter 7 verse 24, don't just judge by appearance, but make a right judgment. What Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7 is not that all actions are just equally moral and that truth is in some way relative and so just do your version of it. There's a right and wrong. that He has given us a standard of righteousness in the word. And just because Romans chapter 14 says that we don't want to put stumbling blocks in each other's path doesn't mean that we should just be silent about that standard of righteousness. Does that make sense? I mean, anything that contradicts truth is a lie. And so if I call something a lie, that's a judgment statement. I'm not condemning you and saying, you liar, you're going to hell. But I'm saying, that's a lie. And the scripture says, if you continue in a lifestyle pattern of sin, you haven't received eternal life. That's what the word teaches us. If I call adultery or murder a sin, that's to pass judgment. But it's to agree with the word of God. And that's a standard of righteousness. If we lift up a standard of righteousness, by the very nature of that, it labels unrighteousness. 
And so I know that the world, when we start talking about what is right and what is wrong according to the scripture, will be like, well, you're, you're judging, don't judge. No, that's the standard of righteousness. And it's rooted in the character of God. And so it can't be changed. But we have to make sure that when we judge, we judge correctly. Romans chapter 14 is all about that. When it comes to these dietary laws and the stuff that Paul was dealing with in Romans chapter 14 for that church might be different for our church today. But when it comes to some of these superficial issues or these issues on the edge that we, you know, we can't find a scripture, that may be your own personal conscience. Be careful when we start doing that. For me to stand up and say murder is a sin is one thing. For me to stand up and say owning a television set is a sin is a whole different ballgame. And that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about. So here are just a couple things that when we judge, here's what the scripture says. Don't judge superficially. Don't judge based on an appearance. Don't judge before you have all the facts. Don't look at someone from a distance and kind of say, I got them pegged. I know what's going on there. That's a superficial judgment. And that's wrong. It also says, don't be a hypocrite. In fact, Matthew chapter 7 is right in the midst of this hypocritical thing where this, you know, I'm saying one thing, I'm saying this is wrong, this is sin, but I'm living it, I'm doing it. There's a whole lot of that in our world today. I mean, we stand up and we are, we're like, we, we condemn, or we, we, we're talking about how sacred marriage is in our world, but yet our Christian marriages, we don't treat them like sacred. We don't love our spouse the way that we should. We don't honor our spouse the way we should. We don't invest ourselves in our marriage the way we should. That's hypocritical judgment. And so we gotta be careful of that. That's the type of thing. Romans chapter two says, when we do that, we judge ourselves. We condemn ourselves. When we judge others for doing wrong but do it ourselves, uh, we're condemning ourselves. Harsh, unforgiving judgment is wrong. In Titus chapter three, we're taught to always be gentle toward everyone. Always be gentle toward everyone. In Matthew chapter five, verse seven, Jesus taught that those who are merciful will receive mercy. In Matthew chapter seven, verse two, right after Jesus said, don't judge, he says, whatever standard you use to judge others, that's the standard that you'll be judged with. So we don't wanna use a harsh, unforgiving judgment on people because then that's the standard that's gonna come back on us. We don't want that. Self-righteous judgment is wrong. We've gotta be careful that we walk in humility. God is opposed to the proud. And then, of course, untrue judgment is wrong. That's just lie. Don't bear false witness against your neighbors, one of the 10 commandments, it's been around forever. And so, if we're gonna judge people, these are some, some, some kind of guidelines the scripture gives us to make sure that our judgment is correct. And if it doesn't fit these, these parameters, if you will, then be careful what you're doing. But to say that all judgment is wrong uh, kind of pulls it out of the world or out of the word and it makes it untrue. Galatians chapter six verse one tells us that we're to confront each other that err in the body of Christ. We're to do it gently, but we should do it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 through 17, Jesus taught what to do when there's a problem between you and someone else in the body of Christ. How do you, how do you rectify that? There's gotta be a judgment. You take it before the church and the church does what? They judge who's right and wrong. There's an entire book of the Bible called Judges. 
Okay, and so what I don't want us to do in this world that we live in where we say, you know, if I declare something as a a sin that I'm judging, no, it's the standard of what God says. That's not what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 14. He's addressing these superficial issues. Paul is almost speaking toward our motive, if you will. Our motive should not be to tear down our brothers and sisters in Christ. It shouldn't be to tear down the people in the world. Remember what he's already said in Romans chapter 14. God wants them to stand on judgment day. And so if our declaration of what is true and what is sin is not causing people to to come to the Lord and to accept the Lord, we ought to step back from it and make sure we're doing it right. Maybe we are. But let's at least step back and make sure we are. In Luke chapter 9, there's a story. Jesus is going through Samaria, and it says that the Samaritan village rejects him. And two of his good disciples, who are nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, James and John, say, Lord, should we call down fire on this village and have it destroyed? And look what Jesus says to them in Luke chapter 9. He turned and he rebuked them and severely censured them. He said, you do not know of what sort of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them from the penalty of eternal death. And they journeyed on to another village. See, the purpose or the motive of our confrontation with others, is it for life or for death? Don't lose sight of that. When we are trying to preach righteousness, make sure that it's for people's life and not death. Don't get offended that people are thumbing their nose at God. He didn't get offended. We've been thumbing our nose at him since the foundation of the earth, and yet even in that state, he came and died for us. There will absolutely come a day when it's the final judgment comes. And when that day comes, everything's sealed and all bets are off. But right now, he's not holding our sin against us. And so make sure when we preach righteousness, make sure when we're speaking into brothers and sisters' lives, we're doing it for life and not for death. Not to destroy the city because we're offended that they rejected Jesus. I mean, if he's not offended, why are we? Does that make sense? There's a story that I came across of a man who was walking across a bridge one day. And he saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. And he immediately ran over and said, stop, don't jump. The man on the bridge said, why shouldn't I? The other man says, well, there's a lot to live for. Like what? Well, the man says, are you religious or atheist? He says, I'm religious. Me too. Are you Jewish or are you Christian? And the jumper replies, I'm Christian. Me too. Are you a Catholic or Protestant? I'm a Protestant. Me too. I mean, the man is getting encouraged. Are you an Episcopalian or a Baptist? I'm a Baptist. Wow, me too. So the man again to the jumper says, are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you the original Baptist Church of God or the Reformed Baptist Church of God? I'm the Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you the Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1879 
or the Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1915, to which the jumper replied, Reformed Baptist Church of God of Reformation 1915, to which the man said, die, you heretic scum, and he pushed him off. <laughs> That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 14. I mean, there are so many things that separate denominations, and Paul says when you, when you look at it, make sure the word is your standard. Okay, because we can get lost in some of these peripheral issues. And look at what he says to young Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone and be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. So when I stand before the Lord on judgment day, I don't get a lenient card because people were difficult to me. Because the word tells me, be kind to everyone, be patient with difficult people. Don't forget that. That's what we face. Gently instruct those who oppose truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. We gotta stop looking at people as the enemy and start recognizing that, you know, just because they oppose truth doesn't mean I should mock them. Just because one minister, because a minister preaches something that I disagree with, I don't wanna, you know, put funny pictures of them on Facebook and mock them. If they're, if they're in error, they've been taken captive by the devil to do his will, and God doesn't say, please mock them on Facebook, God says either gently encourage them and if I don't have an inroad into their life, I better just be praying for them to come to a knowledge of the truth. My motivation should be for them to, to be in the kingdom, not push them off the bridge. That make sense? But there's this critical spirit in the church world that thinks it's serving Jesus by pointing out all the false prophets that are out there. Stick to the teaching and leave the people out of it. If you want to refute false teaching, do it. But when you start naming names, be sure. Be sure those people are teaching contrary to the scripture and not just contrary to your opinion. Amen. That's good preaching. So let's go to verse 14. <clears throat> I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus, Paul says, no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, and for that person, it's wrong. So if my conscience says, don't eat this food, and I look at this guy and I'm like, well, he eats that food, so I, I should be able to eat that food too. I'm sinning because the Spirit is telling me not to do it, and just because they're doing it doesn't mean I should do it. I should follow what the Spirit's leading me to do. And look at verse 15. If another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but living a life of righteousness, goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve you too. So let's aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. So the two tests he gives us are that we are before the Lord, that we are fully convinced that what we're doing, and then 
how it affects others is the second test. So the question is, is what I'm doing worth someone else's soul? Now, here's the tricky part. We live in a culture where everyone is offended by everything. I get it. I know it. And so if, if I am truly going to live out this verse, um, what in the world am I going to be able to do? Because it, everyone is offended by everything. What the Apostle Paul is doing is he's laying down a statement, a guideline, if you will, for our lives. Because what happens in our flesh when someone says, I'm offended by something you do, here's what flesh wants to do. It's my right to do it. You need to get over it. I'm going to do it all the more. Huh, that, you think that offends you? You wait till I see. Wait till I do what I'm going to do next. I'm going to trump that offense. That's our American culture. That's in the church. That flies in the face of Romans chapter 14. If some other believer or even someone in the world is troubled by what I'm doing and it's not a, a question of whether it's right or wrong in the, in the eyes of the Lord, if I continue to do it and flaunt it in front of them, how can I possibly, look at verse 15, how can you possibly say that the love of God is in you? Think about that for a second. And so what Paul is saying is, if you realize someone is distressed by a certain behavior or a certain thing, and you want to keep it in your life, just do it at home. You know what? When you go out to eat with that person, and they are distressed by you eating meat, just don't eat meat when you go home, or until you go home. That's worth it, because what we're talking about is someone's soul. And I don't want to throw a stumbling block in front of someone, all because of a piece of meat. Because if I stand before the Lord on judgment day and I look at that piece of meat, I'm gonna recognize in a heartbeat that was a wrong choice. I held on to that thing and man, I should have let that go. There are a lot of superficial things in our lives that Paul says, you know what, if it offends a brother, get rid of it. The litmus test is, is this worth another human being's soul? Or is it a superficial thing that I could live without? You know what, and here's the thing, I know it's your right as an American to do whatever you want, and I know it's your right as a Christian to do whatever we want, but I laid down my rights. It's not just for me, I live. And if what I'm doing affects someone else negatively, I got a choice to make. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He closes the chapter with this, verse 20. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you take out, eat, and put whatever else we need to put in there. Don't tear apart the work of God over any preference. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. We would look at that and say, well, you know, that just means life is gonna be no fun. But keep in mind, a judgment is coming. And anyone who lives this out to the fullest, I promise when you stand before the Lord face to face, you're not gonna regret it. But those of us that choose to go against this wisdom that Paul gives us, when we look at the Lord on judgment day, we will realize 
we made a selfish choice. And it may, it may not cost us our eternal soul, but it will cost us. And we will, in that moment, have a regret. And that's why Paul is saying this. If you have doubts, excuse me, verse 22, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. If you have doubts about whether you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For if you're not following your convictions, because you're not following your convictions, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So Paul tells us, don't be a backseat driver. If someone else isn't driving the way you've expected them to drive, don't push them off the cliff as a heretic's gum. Let the Lord sort it out. But Paul isn't saying, as we talked about, that there's no judgment, there's no standard, there's no right and wrong. There is. There is. But make sure that we're not talking about that superficial stuff. This is a warning to us to stop being selfish. My life is not all about me. I laid my life down. And so it's no longer about my preference or what I want to do or what my right is or what this is. I gave all that up. And now, here's the thing. I wish the flesh and all of my sinful nature went away right away. But it doesn't. And so that thing rears its ugly head. And so when people say, hey, I'm, I don't really like when you do this, my immediate reaction on the inside is, huh, who cares? I mean, tough. Get over it. I mean, isn't that what goes on inside us? I'm not going to change how I do something. Come on, that's no big deal. I mean, you shouldn't feel that way. There's no reason for you to feel that way. But Paul says, that's not how we should live our lives. We should live our lives with the litmus test that everything we do is to honor the Lord, to be fully convinced before the Lord that what we're doing is right. And to be fully convinced that what I'm doing is honoring others as well. Helping prepare them for the judgment. Making sure I'm not throwing any stumbling block in their way. We would do well to live by those words. So as we come to the end of Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14. My prayer is that we take these things that the Lord, these signposts, if you will, that he has put in front of us and that we live them out each day. So in the days and the weeks ahead as summer continues, continue to read through Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14, and let's put these things in our hearts so they become a part of who we are. You know, over the last several weeks, People have said, Pastor Tom, I've really enjoyed this series and I've really enjoyed looking at all of these things and um, I say that for this reason. Unless we put them into practice, this was just a good series. That's all it was. I mean, it's great that the city gave us these signs and we could put them up here and it was fun. I don't want it to be fun. I don't want it to be just man, that, that really made me think. I wanted to change how we live. For me especially, the, the scripture says to me, be careful. Unless teaching, preaching to others, I don't want to be disqualified. And so I need to pay attention even more than all of you 
Because it's so easy to think, you know, I preached on that once and not live it out in my daily life. It's way too easy to have that happen. It's way too easy to drive past a sign. I didn't even see that stop sign there, officer. How many of you know that's not gonna cut it? (laughs) I didn't see that sign, officer. There's still a judgment. But Lord, you know, I I heard that message and I, I really should have put that into practice. And so, Father, as we come to the end of this series, God, we know this is really just the beginning. I thank you for your word. It really is a lamp for our feet and it's a light for our path. Holy Spirit, thank you for the words that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to this church in Rome and to us today. God, I pray for each of us today that we would live our lives before you fully convinced of what is right worshiping you in spirit and in truth god that we would be students of your word digging into your word to know what is right to know your character to know your heart to know how to live our lives in this kingdom of yours may we not be lazy and apathetic towards your word forgive us and help us holy spirit to be diligent in our study of the scripture Help us to be led by the Spirit, to follow the convictions that you put in our hearts. Help us not to go against what we feel like you're asking us to do just because another believer does it. Help us to live fully convinced before you. Father, I pray also that you'd help us to live in a way that honors and keeps stumbling blocks out of the paths of everyone else. Father, help us to be more concerned about other people's judgment day than our comfort in the here and now. Help us to take a step back in our lives when others are offended by our, our behavior or by our preferences and make sure that what we're doing isn't causing someone else to stumble and fall. Help us to weigh carefully in the balance whether that behavior or that activity is worth the soul of another human being. Father, help us to put this into practice, especially in a difficult culture where where people literally today seem to be offended by everything. God, we're gonna need your grace. We're gonna need your help to apply this to our lives. And so Holy Spirit, guide us in that. Help us not to have arrogant, selfish hearts, but help us to walk in humility, considering others even more than ourselves. For that's what your word says honors you. So Holy Spirit, continue to prepare us for that day of judgment. We know it's in your heart to reward us greatly. God, today you don't speak to us in in a sense to condemn us or to harm us. What you have spoken to us today is so that on that judgment day, you can lavish reward on us. Help us to live with eternity in mind. 
even sacrificing something in the moment to receive something greater that will never fade away. Open up our eyes to see with eternal eyesight. So Father, thank you for the things that you've put in my heart to share with this congregation. And I pray that those things that have been from you would remain in our hearts, that we would treasure those things, that we would protect those things, water those things, care for those things, be diligent to to stir up those words so that they produce fruit in our lives. And Lord, for the things that I've shared out of my own preference, I pray that those things would fall to the side and not distract us in any way. And so continue to build your kingdom in our lives and in our church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for being here this morning. God bless you as you go. And uh, may you continue to live in God's will.